Hey, it was so encouraging last week as we started this series. There's something about this. This is not working. I think it's just, oh, I'm going to preach like this. Um, it's so awesome last week as we were um, starting our series um, in 1 Corinthians 11 through 14, we, we started off with the Lord's Supper. Uh, and um, I'm going to do something here. I'll take this. You can play around with it. We started off with the Lord's Supper, and at the end of the service, um, we responded by taking communion up front, and we allowed, um, we invited, as we talked about walking in community together, we invited people to share their needs um, presently in their life, and then we invited people from the church to come and listen to what their need was, to pray and and I have no idea whether or not that those conversations went beyond prayer to actually um, ministering into the life of the person that shared the need. But we, we did that as an expression of the truth, which is, as the body of Christ, we live together. We worship together. We are one body, as this passage of Scripture in, in chapter 12 uh, will, will show us next week. We are one body. And I just want to encourage you, if you responded last week up front to share, or if you responded to listen and pray and to give, or if you responded from seat to seat in the, in the congregation, let's continue to press into one another um, and walk closer together um, as we share our lives with one another. And that's part of what this, this series is going to reveal to us, is how, how much God desires and has created us as a church to function together, to worship together. And that's, the, that's the, the title for this series, is that we're called to worship God together and with our lives. I remember, as we, as we, as we jump into today's text, um, and one other thing before we jump into the text, I love it when you bring your Bibles, and that could be literally a a hard copy. Um, don't you just love the smell of the Bible? It's just, just awesome. I wish you could smell how awesome my Bible is. It's, it's great. You can bring a hard copy, or you can bring um, your phone or your tablet. Um, I just like it that you're reading the Scripture, and I like it that you're learning how to, to get into the Bible yourself and to, to search out Scripture. And I, I pray that the I pray that, it, that the Bible verses on the screen are, the, not the, are, are not the only time during the week that you actually look at the Word of God. So bring your Bible, get used to it. You can look on your phone during the service and read the Bible and read beyond the text that I read. And, and, continue, and if, you're, if, you're, if you are stuck in the Word of God while I'm preaching and you're just consumed with the Word of God, praise the Lord. If you're, re, if you're watching your favorite TV show... <laughs> while I'm preaching, well then praise the Lord, because I'm going to believe that one of those characters is going to look up at you and go, Jesus loves you, now get back to the message, I, I don't know, it'll just reveal something to you, but bring your phone, bring your tablet, bring your Bible, and let's, let's um, read the Word of God together as we study, okay, I remember, I, I, I don't know if this is the first time, it probably isn't, but one of the first times in my life that I remember experiencing the presence of God. And it was when my brother gave his heart to Jesus. When my rude 
bullying, sarcastic, cocky, and Greg, if you're listening to this, I love you so much, brother who I would go to bed at night dreaming of ways I could take revenge on him. Anybody got sibling relationships like that? Um, When his life got radically turned around by Jesus when he was a junior in high school, I remember sometime shortly after that, it might have been the day after, it might have been the week after, I don't know, but sometime after he came to know Jesus, I remember, um, he's five years older than me, I remember being in his presence and looking into his eyes. Track with me. I remember looking into his eyes and realizing something was profoundly different about this man. He was a different brother. He had compassion in his eyes. I believe for the first time in his life towards me. (laughs) He had compassion. He had love. He had tenderness. He had humility. Jesus had done something in him. I start off with that illustration, especially in the context of 1 Corinthians 11 through 14, because in the context of this passage of Scripture, much of the illustration that Paul is going towards is how we worship together and experience God together. But there is something profound and unique about the Christian experience in that it is not a temple that we come to to worship God. But it is God coming to us in making our lives His temple. He the living God who created the universe, saw fit to allow earthen vessels, as Paul described it, jars of clay, fragile, sinful, broken, confused vessels. And he said, I want to come into their lives. And I want to change their heart. And I want to change their life. And I want to live in such a way that my presence comes out of their eyes. And comes out of their hands. And comes out of their heart. And people will all of a sudden know, I don't know what it is. I can't tell you how many times this has been said to me, but I've heard it said about you. I don't know what it is about you, but you're different. And we know the punchline to that question or that statement is, it's Jesus. Because Jesus lives in us. And central to Paul's teaching throughout his letters, because he had his own experience with the living God and his presence, and his presence in the life of Christ changed Paul, is this teaching that the Holy Spirit, who Jesus talked about before he left, the presence of God, the third person of the Trinity, has come to live within you and I. So can we just stop for a minute? And again, I I, I make no assumption in this room that every person in this room has God living in them. Because God comes to live with us when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. And when we say, Jesus, you are Lord. And we'll look at that in in just a second in the Scripture. But for, for many of us in this room, there... There was a moment in time in our life where we said, Jesus, You are Lord. I put my trust and my faith in You. I am a sinner. 
Would you please forgive me, but would you save me by your grace, your unmerited favor, and would you make me white as snow, and would you come and live inside my life? And when we made that confession of lordship, and we opened up our lives and surrendered to God, He literally came to live in with us, live in us. And so can we, as those who are believers in the room, stop for just a minute and recognize the presence of God in our life. That He is living in us. When Tabby was singing this morning about the presence of the Lord, immediately the Holy Spirit quickened my spirit and said, I'm right here. And I love being with you, Sean. I love being with you. I love being in you. I love living in you. And that's true for every single person in this room that is a child of God. He didn't say something unique to me that he wouldn't say to you. You are his son. You are his daughter. And he delights to live in you. In 1 Corinthians, in the, the, the context of these passages of Scripture, Paul is um, addressing some problems that have been going on in the Corinthian church. And so in the context of this corrective letter, we're going to extract some nuggets of life for our walk with Jesus. But Paul is writing a rebuke to the church for a number of issues throughout his letter, but as we focus on this part of the letter, he's addressing some issues of disunity, some issues of selfishness, some issues of super-spirituality that are causing the church to lose sight of Jesus as Lord and causing the gaze of the church to be placed on people and on gifts um, and on positions in life, and we talked about this last week at the Lord's Supper, that the wealthy were um, positioning themselves in a, in, a, in a different social status as the poor in the church. And there was a, a segregation that was going on in the context of taking the Lord's Supper. And we know at the beginning of, of Corinthians that there were people that were saying, I'm a follower of this leader, and I'm a follower of this leader. And there was division within the church about who the, the best leaders were. And that there was... There, we know within the context of 1 Corinthians that the church in itself is coming against the leadership of Paul. And part of Paul's letter is to rebuke them for not walking under authority and being arrogant to think that they don't have a need for his leadership or other leaders. So there's all kinds of stuff going on in Corinthians. But in this passage of Scripture, they, he's addressing the abuse of spiritual gifts. And as a matter of fact, more specifically, and we'll talk about the gifts in coming weeks, but he's singling out the gift of tongues as being a hyper-focused gift, being attended to, attended to not that it was a, a, not a gift, not that it wasn't important, but that it was being singled out as being more important than the gifts of the Spirit, the manifestations of the Spirit, which are varied and multiple and in and multifaceted, but in a sense that the gifts were being exalted above the giver of the gifts. So in the context of that, that thought, read with me in chapter 12, verse 1. 
Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities the Spirit gives us, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It reads a little bit different in your version, just so you know. I don't want you to misunderstand this. Verse 2. You know that when you were still pagans or unbelievers, you were led astray and swept along in worshiping speechless idols. So I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another. And to someone else, the one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. And so what we find here at the in this past description, we'll see again throughout the context of these next couple of chapters, is that Jesus, Paul is saying, church, Jesus, the Spirit of God, the Father, the Trinity, God is at, is at center stage. He is to be center focus of your worship. What do we know? Uh, Verse 6 in this passage of Scripture, God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. God is present and at the center, working and doing what He desires in and through us. We know that the Corinthians, um, as, as I alluded to earlier, um, came out of this, live in this multicultural, multi-idol God-worshipped environment. And many of the Gentile believers in the church had come out of some form of pagan worship uh, where meals, communion meals were served together, served, uh, served in worship of these, as Paul described, speechless idols. And we know that there's plenty of religious customs coming out of that, that these now believers um, at least had brought experiences of into the church. They had had ex- past experiences of what it looked like to worship. And so Paul is drawing on this comparison of their past experiences and in, in contrasting that experience with what it looks like to worship the living God. What it looks like for the speaking God, the God that we know that is alive to speak and what it looks like to, for Him to gift us in such a way that we speak back or speak out prophetically with wisdom, with worship, and or with tongues, or whatever the gifts that God has with our voice, that we are able to be empowered to speak those things because God's in us and Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. There's no way for a speechless idol or a, or a demonic 
worship service or something that is void of the living God to be able to declare, maybe with words, but not with authority and with faith and belief, Jesus, You are the Lord of my life. You are the Lord of this people. You are God. And Paul is addressing that to his, his church. And he's saying, Jesus is center. In pagan rituals, before they experienced Christ, they experienced religion, they experienced spirituality, but God was not present. They knew forms of religion, but they didn't know God. And we know forms of religion in our world, and some of us might even come from uh, other forms of religion and other ways of worship. Uh, And if we believe Uh, As Christians believe that there is only one God, as Jesus described of Himself, there's only one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus Christ our Lord, that there is only one God that we worship, then any other God that people worship is not a living God. It's It's a speechless idol. But we have religions or idols that we all experience, whether you come from that background or if you come from any kind of worship experience that exists in our world that is void of God. And you're like, what are those? You ever been to a football game? Sports is worship. A rock concert's worship. Secular humanism is worship. As a matter of fact, it's the highest form of worship in our society today apart from God because what we have declared is that the human being, the human intellect, the human drive for creativity, discovery, success, The evolution of our species is the end-all pursuit of our lives. Um, The fervor, and again, none of these things in the context of Christ are, I mean, I hope that within our room, in this room, that there are men and women who are pursuing the furthest degree of scientific discovery in every area of your life, in every area of your discipline or work, if you're in those areas. We should be the leading astronomists. We should be the leading physicists. We should be in the, in the conversation in all these areas. But from the context that God has created us all and that He is wanting to be discovered. He is wanting to be known. So we could have two astronauts flying to the outer parts of the universe or sending a probe to the next, the, the next planet or the next galaxy Searching for two different reasons. To further our worship of the living God who is expansive and great and continues to create and is beyond our imagination. Or to try to figure out the meaning for our own life and existence. It can be the same journey, but a different form of worship. And Paul is saying that whatever those places are, of worship are if they are not centered in Jesus as Lord, as he says in verse 3, then they are derivatives of a worship that's got its basis in something other than God. In this context, a speechless idol. In our context, the last illustration, in a basis in a human striving, a human exaltation. The created being worshipped instead of the Creator. So much so that he says in that form, and I say I would apply this to any of of our places of worship, that 
We are led astray and we are swept along. In, that, in this context, it, it, it feels almost like, it sounds like human persuasion or religious fervor. You know, that in this context, there is a, we've been in those situations where we are led astray or swept along by the persuasion or the experience instead of God. Right? And we can actually see this happen in church, in Christian church, right? Where you are persuaded not to, to walk in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and what He's done for you, and, 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 and that alone is the, the place of your worship, and everything flows from this, this connection with the living God who has saved you and transformed you and wants to live His life through you, and we begin to add form and religion to our experiences so that if you don't do this, you're not really worshiping. If you don't take communion every week, if you don't baptize, get baptized in a certain way, if you don't fall down when somebody prays for you, if you, don't, if you don't read the King James Bible, if you don't... Can we all fill in what all those, all those things that we add on that are forms in, in not experiencing the presence of leadership of the Holy Spirit in our lives? They were led away and swept along. And Paul is saying, guys, get your focus back on who God is. Gordon Fee says this, pagans are led to idols. Gordon Fee is a, uh, is a theologian. He says, pagans are led to idols. Christians are led by the Spirit. Pagans are led to idols. Christians are led by the Spirit. In the church in Corinth, they were consumed by the manifestation gifts of God and in a sense, if, in, having been in, been in similar environments, they were enamored by um, the workings of God in people. They were, and, it, and it ends up, ends up being gift people worship instead of God worship. It's so subtle. One more quote by Fee in, in regards to that. He says, The presence of the Spirit in power and gifts makes it easy for God's people to think of the power and gifts as the real evidence of the Spirit's presence. Not so for Paul. The ultimate criterion of the Spirit's activity is the exaltation of Jesus as Lord, which in turn expresses itself in loving concern for others. Whatever takes away from that, even if they be legitimate expressions of the Spirit, and, and I, you will hear me in the next couple of weeks reiterate, there's not one gift that you read in this passage of Scripture that Paul is saying is not a gift. He's not disqualifying the gifts or the manifestations. He's putting them in their proper order so that they can manifest in a pure way for the edification, for the strengthening in the service of the church. We need the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We need the manifestations of the Spirit because it's the Spirit demonstrating Himself through us. It's just got to be in its proper order. Whatever takes away from that, even if they be legitimate expressions of the Spirit, begins to move away from Christ to a more pagan fascination with spiritual activity as an end in itself. Only the Spirit can speak and cause one to confess that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is at the center of our confession. His Lordship is at the center of, his, of our confession. And when we confess Jesus as Lord, and He comes to live in us, then His multi-faceted diversity of gifts, manifestations, love, character, etc. start to fill us to empower us, to overwhelm us, and to flood out of our lives. And you've experienced that through one another. 
in the church. You've been the benefit, benefactors, the recipients of God's various forms of, various forms of grace, as Paul describes it. Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit, and, and, and all of this activity comes as a result of the Holy Spirit living in us. And I just want to do a real quick run through Jesus' communication before he left this earth about the Holy Spirit, and then Paul's um, following up with that, and then some encounters with the, with the church. So just a quick survey. Jesus, right before he died, in John 14, says this, If you love me, Obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and He will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive Him because it isn't looking for Him and doesn't recognize Him, but you know Him because He lives with you now and later will be in you. And so this, this, this declaration from Jesus that He's sending His Spirit to live in us, we've just been talking about that. John 16, 8-9, And when He comes, He will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness, and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Chapter 16, um, same chapter, verse 14 and 15. He will bring me glory, the Holy Spirit, Jesus talking, the Holy Spirit will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever He receives from me. So what you're seeing is Jesus saying when the Holy Spirit comes to live in you, what's He going to do? He's going to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He's going to bring holiness into our life. And He is going to promote Jesus. He's going to promote Jesus. He is going to make Jesus famous through you. So whenever we get off of glorifying and promoting the salvation, the lordship, the character, the life of Christ, when anything becomes less, more important than that, not that other things are not taught and embodied within our teaching and in our life as a, as a Christian, but when that is not central, when it starts to shift, and you can feel it in your own life, and you can feel it in churches' lives, when it starts to shift, and we start to focus things off of Jesus and His Lordship and His salvation, things start to go a little bit quirky. They start to get a little bit off. Because we start to shift our focus from here to here in a way that's imbalanced. Jesus said right before He left, He said, but you know what? It's going to be so good. It's better for me to leave so that the Holy Spirit comes so that you get to experience Him and all of you get to have Him in you at the same time. And it's so cool because not only is He going to live in you, but you're going to be able to as a church to do greater things than I've ever done here on earth. Jesus said that. Promise. So for all of us who don't believe in miracles, take it up with Jesus. For all of us who don't believe that there's going to be healings that happen in the church, take it up with Jesus. For all of us who don't believe that demons are going to be cast out of people, Take it up with Jesus. The kingdom of God is violently, Jesus said, coming to earth to shake demonic strongholds and to deliver people, as I rip my mic off my body, to deliver people and to introduce them to the love and the power and the grace of the kingdom of God. That is what He's about. And so Jesus said, and I'm going to go and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and when He comes, He's going to baptize you. He's going to fill you up and you're going to be sent out as my witnesses to the whole world. 
and the power of God's going to be on you. Acts 1 and Acts 2. And so he fulfills it in Acts 2. And you remember, as the disciples were praying and, and worshiping, the Spirit of God came upon them. Tongues of fire were on their head. They started speaking in different languages. A crowd came miraculously, miraculously because they experienced, I believe, in Jerusalem the presence and the power of God. They were drawn to the disciples. The disciples demonstrated the power of God. Some people were like cut to the cut to the heart. Some people laughed and thought they were drunk, but there was something going on. Something that they couldn't avoid. Ah, my prayer would be that the world would take notice of you. That there would be something so powerful in me, in you, and in us that the world would be confounded. I don't know how to put a word on it, but Antioch Waltham, ah, what is it? That's the world speaking. I don't know. That old moose lodge. There's something weird going on there. Something crazy. But I, I'm drawn to it. I'm drawn to these people. They're so unique and peculiar. And some will think you're nuts. Some of you might be in here thinking we're all nuts. <laughs> but some of them will think you're nuts. But some of them will find life. Paul says, to some, it's the aroma of Christ that leads to life and salvation, and to others, it's the stench of death. The same Spirit of God working life and death in you, depending on what the response of the person is that's around you. They get baptized in the Holy Spirit. They start speaking. Crowds form. And what does Peter do? This is really, 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 really important for all of the and I'm going to get churchy here for a second. For those of you who are visiting, hold on for a second. For all you charismatics, and I is one, in the room, if he would have been a good charismatic, once that all happened, he would have said, okay, everybody come front, and we're going to pray for you so you can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit with speaking in tongues. Come on, let's just have a prayer service where we're praying over people. He didn't turn this into let's get what we got on the stage. He, by the Spirit of God, took opportunity as the Spirit filled him with wisdom in a prophetic message. He preached the Gospel. He clearly declared that what you are seeing is not a creation of these weak individuals up here. What you are seeing is not only than the power of God, And the power of God is on display to draw you here so that you can hear that Jesus Christ has died for your sins and you are no longer a slave to sin, but set free if you believe in Him. He used the opportunity of the glory of God to proclaim reconciliation to the people who were listening. He glorified Jesus. Spirit of God descended. The Spirit of God in Peter did what? He glorified Jesus. And thousands got saved that day. And their lives were transformed. And they started living in such a crazy way that people were getting saved daily, it says at the end of that passage. And we see it go on and on. So you are a part of that lineage of lordship and of dwelling of God's presence. Paul, in his teachings, goes on and and articulates it this way when he's talking to the church in Corinth. He says, 
in chapter 3 of verse 16. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? And in Ephesians, to, to another church, he writes, together we are His house built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus Himself. We are carefully joined together in Him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through Him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by His Spirit. The temple. We have become the, we have become the living temple where once there was a physical temple where God dwelt and where sacrifices were made and where uh, His presence resided. Now we are the living temple of God. Holy, loving, full of who God is. And let's not get caught up, can I say, can I just say, can we not get caught up in what that experience has to look like? Please. We get so caught up on whether you are baptized, infilled, empowered, overwhelmed, reigned on, reigned in, I mean, let's just, you take one. You know, you take a word and make it yours, okay? That's yours, and we'll let you have it, but what I want us to be consumed by is not how it happens or what the description is, but is are we yielded to the fullness of God? And are we willing to be vessels that are poured out for Him and used however He wants to use us? Now, that is a dangerous prayer. If you're worried about whether you're baptized or not, forget about that. Be worried about whether or not you are yielded to the living God and being able to be used by Him for what He wants you to do. Because if you're in that place, it's a lot crazier than if you're worried about whether you're baptized or not. Now you're really praying a dangerous prayer. God, do whatever you want to do. Oh, no, I've read the Bible. He asked some people to do some crazy things. Read Ezekiel. That'll craze you out. That guy did some weird stuff yielded to God. But God's purpose in all that He does, He knows what's best for every person in every situation, every culture, and every church. And He manifests Himself in the way that is clearly evident to those He's ministering to. And it looks different at ACC Waltham, than it looks at ACC Brighton, than it looks at ACC Waco, than it looks at, at the harbor. It looks different than Grace Chapel or Park Street or InterVarsity, or Campus Crusade. God's got a, different, got a different unique calling, a different unique way of expressing, and a different culture and feel that He's drawing people into. But we've got to be yielded. Okay. We are the living temple of God. Ben, can you come on up? At the end of chapter 14, and we will look at it again, but when he's talking about prophecy and tongues, and he's giving them instruction about how that's to function in the church, he talks about unbelievers, people who don't know Jesus, coming into the midst of a church service, and people are prophesying. They're declaring who God is. And he says something very interesting in verse 25. He says, as they listen their secret thoughts will be exposed and they will fall to their knees and worship God, declaring, God is truly here among you. Isn't that what we desire? We desire that God truly be here among me 
we're honest. God, I want you to be here, but we also want him to be here. So would you pray with me? As living temples, as ones who are listening to whether or not you even believe in Jesus, all of us gathered here, we're going to pause and we're going to say, Jesus, would you be here among us? Spirit of God, would you be here among us? If you pray it in your personal way to God, talk to God right now. He's alive. He loves you. He's listening. He's speaking. God is among us, asking this question, what are you doing, God? What are you doing right now in my life? What are you speaking? And as you are in that place, Respond to what he's saying. And if you're in this room and you are in a place like the crowd that I described in Acts that saw the disciples experiencing the Holy Spirit for the first time and heard Peter preach the gospel, or you are like the ones that walked into the room that Paul just described where they said, wow, there is something about this meeting. God is here because things in my life are being revealed in ways that I I know God has initiated. If you're experiencing that, I want to encourage you that God is alive in the Israel and he's knocking on the door of your heart. And he's wanting to say, Jesus is continuing to pray and our heads are bowed if that is you and you're saying I would like Jesus to come into my life I'd like to be the temple of God the temple of the Holy Spirit right now I want the Spirit of God to live in me I want this salvation that comes through Jesus I want to submit my life to the Lordship of Jesus if that is you you've never done that before it's the first time you want to declare that and ask for God's grace in your life raise your hand. I just want to pray for you. Anybody in this room? Okay. Now for the rest of us, for the us in the room, Spirit of God, would you minister? Would you stand with stand up. So this would be the prayer that I would pray for all of us right now. And um, there is, 
when, when Paul went through the, the gifts list, I don't believe, and most theologians don't believe that that list is instructional and that it's the only gifts that God gives. There's different lists of gifts in the scripture. There's different ways in which God empowers people in scripture. I don't think it's exhaustive. I think it's giving illustration to how God ministers in different ways. All those gifts are legitimate, and we can talk about what they are and, and how God uses them. But there are gifts that God distributes, and some of them are gifts of faith to believe for the work of God in other people's lives. And so sometimes when we are struggling to connect with God, sometimes it helps for people to pray for us. So I'm going to ask for two things right now. If you want um, God's um, empowerment and his, his lordship to be center and real in your life, and you want to open up to all that God wants to do in your life, but you'd love for somebody to pray for you. I want to invite you to come forward and stand down here so people can pray for you. Is there anybody who would just say, hey, I'd like, I'd like that, and I'd love for somebody to pray for me for that. And can I have a couple of my leaders, uh, some leaders come up that want to pray for that to come forward? Is that you? So these are leaders turned this way. If you're coming to get prayer, go, yeah. Go, go to this guy right here. He'll pray with you. Who else would just say, I want, I want somebody to pray for me. And if you, you walk to somebody, and just start praying for them. You don't have to come forward. So I just want you to know there's, no, there's nothing spiritual about coming forward. You're just saying, hey, I'd love for somebody's faith to be prayed. I want, I want somebody to believe with me for what I want to happen in my life. You could also just write in your chair, write in your, write in your seat, pray to God. And I'm going to pray for you right where you are if you're not feeling inclined to, to move forward. So can we just pray right now? If you're, if you're saying that's where I am, you position yourself in your needs, in your desires before the Lord. And I just want to pray a special prayer over our congregation. Spirit of God, would you empower this church? The collection of this people, would you be Lord Jesus of our lives? I ask that as the Spirit of God, you declare Jesus, that the Spirit of God would come into the world and it would convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment, Lord, Holy Spirit, that you would continue to convict us as your church of places of sin that um, uh, lead us to bondage. And Lord, would you deliver right now in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and reveal to us as your church that you are not only living in us, but that you are wanting to empower us to serve one another. You're wanting to empower us with special gifts in season and out. Sometimes we are given a gift that we, we operate in a lot, and sometimes it's a one-time situation, but we're open to whatever you want to do. God, would you empower this church right now? And I place myself in this prayer. Would you empower us to be yielded to you, Holy Spirit, to be open to you, to be receiving of you, to, to uh, be releasing of you through our lives so that people are strengthened, encouraged, built up, as Paul describes, and that the lost, those who don't know you, hear clearly about you, Jesus, and see clearly you in us. God, we're not perfect. 
I'm the first to say I'm not perfect, but you're perfect in me. And even in my weakness, you say I'm strong. Even in our weakness as a church, you're strong. I believe some of the greatest ways you minister through me is through repentance and humbling myself before others. Lord, whatever you want to do to be glorified, would you do this through our church, through each individual person here? Last prayer. Lord, I pray, God, that as we respond to you this morning, that we would, we would keep you center in our worship, that we would never exalt form and religious experience over worship of you, Jesus. We would never worship the gifts, but we would receive them as opportunities. We would receive you in your manifestation, your gifts as opportunities to serve and to love this world. And I pray that the fruit of that would be we'd walk closer together. Lord, would you work at a deeper level, true unity, not selfish unity, not what are you doing for me unity, not only if you do it my way unity. That's a false unity. That's not of you. But Lord, a selfless, humble, submitted, tender, caring, compassionate unity that is born of the Spirit of God. Would you do that? In and among us, I pray. Whatever else, God, as we open up our hearts right now, whatever else that you're wanting to do and speak, whatever need we have, Lord, would you speak to it and minister to it right now in Jesus' name. Let's just stay one more, a few more seconds in this place of prayer. Let God's full work be done.